Welcome back, everyone, to Octo Radio, a Star Wars podcast. This is it. Last month of the year. Things are getting things are getting uh, holiday style seasonal. I can I can taste the stuffing and mm-hmm. uh, and the ham. We do ham. I don't know about I don't know about you guys. I think that that's you know maybe we'll talk about Star Wars food. I don't know. We've been doing a lot of Disney talk off air, so who knows where this conversation could go? But I'm super excited because our guest today, you are familiar with them because they were on our Bad Batch panel review which is one of our most listened to episodes. People really liked that breakdown of the Bad Batch season one a little while back, which was a joyous time. You know them as well from Itu uh, Banta Tambien, Padre Pascal, Fight Club Far, Far Away, from being a writer, producer, from working in games, uh, from just being really obnoxiously talented, just working in, in actually way too many things. You're, we're going to have to ask you to surrender <laughs> here on air some of the stuff that you do. Uh, it's Katrina Dennis. You know, you clicked the... You clicked the thing. My name was there. Hi, everybody. How you Hello, doing? How are you? I'm okay. I mean, you know that. They don't know yeah. that. Uh, <laughs> that's the, we, the, the beauty of podcasting. Yeah, we, we had a long secret discussion without any of you guys. That was uh, that was the green room uh, part of this this episode. So it was really nice. It was good. Yeah. Gotta, you got, gotta share that that uh, that recipe with me sometime. Yeah, the, the, the hidden recipe, yeah, the, yeah. The, the potions, uh, yeah, yeah. All, all my yeah. alchemy secrets. Um, yeah, I, I got to pull up a proper sacrifice before the year's out. So you know. that is true. That is true, and it's it's wrangling it by the horns that really mm-hmm. makes it uh, difficult. See, now yeah. we're now we're doing an improv session. I don't know how that happened. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, you really are a person that does it all, right? Like when you look at, I mean, just in, in the in the notes here, I don't often take a lot of notes, but then both times that I've talked to Katrina, I'm like, Katrina does too much. I should probably write a couple of them down. And, and when I say I don't take a lot of notes, I mean that I don't take notes on <laughs> for these podcasts. But Man, you after my sure. own heart, never yeah. take notes. Just, yeah. just shoot it out there, do it live. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. F it, do it live. Um, <laughs> but you've been a person that has just been really prolific in this space. You've had stuff on StarWars.com. You've done all types of things. You were involved in the Looking for Leia doc series. Um, you've got so much going on even right now in your life. You're spinning a lot of plates. You're an RPG gamer. Um, we were talking off air that you're just you're just burning the candle at both ends, full steam ahead until you finally get to a vacation. Yeah. Um, so how have things been for you creatively as you balance all this in the isolation year? You know, where, where are you at right now? Yeah, it's it's been kind of weird, you know, just like the course of the the past like two years of the pandemic. Um, you you get those creative bursts of energy that last for like weeks and weeks, and then you know you have months of stagnation and staring at the wall. But um, a lot of things have kind of popped up over the past year. Yeah, I, I joined uh, two really great tabletop RPG shows that are both Star Wars themed. Um, one of which is from the Cantina, and then Starlight Beacon Transmissions, which is a older public tabletop RPG and I'm really excited to be part of that one um, uh, I'm excited to be part of both I'm just saying I'm excited to be part of this one because it's part of the older public and I love the older public no, you um, must choose you only <laughs> one no. uh, yeah and I've, I've got to do like a lot of really uh, cool stuff with uh, with a lot of different uh, games over the past like year and it kind of like feels like a, a, a culmination of what where I kind of started in the space which was you know doing some 
social media posts at Geek and Sundry back when the original tabletop show was airing. Um, and, and now it's grown into this beautiful mess. Uh, and, and yeah, I, I run a bunch of podcasts now and I co-run a bunch of podcasts, including Pedro Pascal, which I, uh, I um, review uh, Pedro Pascal's prolific career with my friend Rachel Leishman. Uh, I am also the co-host of Itubanta Tambien Still, where Kayla and I uh, shoot the poodoo as our friends uh, over at Roxium site. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and uh, we talk about all sorts of things, pop culture from a Latinx point of view. Um, and and I also have my own show now, and it's called The Fight Club Far, Far Away. And that was kind of, that's that's my my baby and like my big project because it's something that I'm I'm very passionate about when it comes to like action adventure movies and martial arts and so being able to combine uh, the aspect of fighting in any way with Star Wars has been really cool and then yeah there's uh, other stuff that I'm doing it's a lot <laughs> it is a lot but you said it all with joy and I think that yeah. that, that comes through is that for being as busy as you are and you know I joke about you uh burning you know the candle but it doesn't come off that way like you you have either an abundance of energy or you have some sort of secret that I will get out of you during this conversation as to how you do it because you know once you get to that three podcast mark of hosting <laughs> producing you start to realize like that you spend a decent portion of your life on air and, and that a mm -hmm. lot of you is packaged and presented for other people which can be a really weird and screwy uh mental thing yeah You're yeah like how much of me is katrina dennis the person versus katrina dennis the online personality and mm -hmm. that becomes a really weird line but we'll get there uh <laughs> we'll, we'll it's gonna be a nice that. long talk today uh, we'll get into all that uh <laughs> we gotta go back to the beginning which is always the the best part and shout out to the late great james lipton who whose interviews I always watched as a kid. And he would always start with the, we begin, of course, at the beginning. And <laughs> I am fascinated by your Star Wars origin story, A, because I don't know it that well. So it's going to be a lot of discovery <laughs> here for me. And B, mm -hmm. because there's an element of theatricality in what you do in the gaming and all of that stuff and, and, and the creativity and finding characters and role play and understanding those characters on your shows like Fight Club. But there's also a very like meticulous and mathematical side to what you do with producing and with having run social accounts and things like that. Very different brain sides at work. Yes. Um, so what kind of nerd were you as a kid? Was it very <laughs> bookish and, and scientific or were you like a, a drama kid? Uh, I was actually a, a drama kid who had that interest in science. You know, I, you know, my dad was a huge nerd. Like, I don't think there was ever a part of my life where I wasn't surrounded by pop culture in some way or another, because before me, my father uh, kind of started that. And so very early on, I was going to, you know, conventions. Like my first convention was a Star Trek convention down in, in Miami. Um, and like it was just because he couldn't find a babysitter that day. So it was a, a very big surprise that I got to go. Um, and it's, I think the, the thing about Star Wars in particular is that it's such a broad and like, and vast uh, scope of storytelling that we all kind of find this beautiful like niche for ourselves in it. And so for me, Star Wars is, it's, 
you know, my practice palette. It's where I go when I think about my favorite types of stories and I want to like riff off of those stories because working on my original stuff is like hard and boring and I want to write, you know, a Star Wars fanfic or I want to create Star Wars uh, tabletop characters or, you know, I want to decorate my uh, my my um, fortresses and my strongholds in, in the Old Republic, you know. Um, it's, it's my escape in a way and I, I think think that like the the most important thing about like my Star Wars fandom is that even though Star Wars fandom itself is a very broad thing and there are so many people that are part of it that make it beautiful and ugly in its many ways um there's still a personal you know space where I can go and enjoy Star Wars it's still mine in in my own way and yeah I think that echoes out into a lot of the things I do Oh, I mean, we'll just wrap it up here. I guess that I guess that's the end. I mean, just covered so much now. Uh, I, I, there, there's so much that I love in that answer because you got really to the heart very quickly of what Star Wars is, and that's everything. I mean, it's every great story ever told wrapped up. I mean, that's been at the the core of the conversation, especially as of late with things mm-hmm. like Visions, which has forced people um, in a nice way, in a, in a, in a Star Warsy <laughs> force way, to um, get back to the heart and get back to the root of what those initial inspirations were and why it speaks to us and why it spoke to George um, and why it continues to permeate through to other people that go to that stuff from George to Dave to you know Deborah Chow coming up and Taika, yes. all of those people. So uh, were you a kid that was already into the sword and sorcery fantasy type stuff like does that you know your dad was a big geek so what were those other like formative stories for you that made you realize oh there's this as well in star wars like so a lot of people will make the princess connection you know like oh i like princesses there's a princess here or Mm -hmm. oh i like cowboys there's a cowboy here how did that sort of connect to yeah i mean yeah, I, it was. I think it's just about like being immersed in in the things that make Star Wars special. So definitely going to like, but when I was growing up, and I don't know if you remember this place because it may even be. I may even be too old, um, but I just I just got the name of this place from my dad today because I wanted to use it in a story, and I have now since forgotten it. Oh, the Hollywood Fashion Center, which was this like crappy old mall uh in in miami um and it had like neon lights on the outside and i'm sure it's been out of commission for like 10 years it's where i saw revenge of the sith but more importantly it's where when i was a kid they used to have like uh matinees of like old westerns old martial arts movies and so that would be the thing my dad and I did you know on off days uh or on days when he felt like pulling me out of school which you know thanks dad um we would go see those discount movies together and so a lot of my formative years were spent watching like these action movies and like and and falling in love with these characters and depictions of uh of things and stories that come from you know with westerns it's like very americanized but I saw movies and I was exposed to movies from other places Places very early on in my life. And I'm really thankful uh, for that because it gave me this appreciation for Star Wars that I think I didn't even realize at first, you know, because it felt, it felt very comfortable. It felt like something I knew, even though these characters were, you know, speaking the same language as me this time, I was comfortable in the way that these stories explored uh, their themes because these are themes that like George pulled from those iconic movies. Yeah, I mean, there's so much that comes from 
uh, Eastern storytelling and from uh, the cinema out there, the storytelling out there, the, the ideologies out there um, that were so contrary to what was happening here at the time, you know, the, with the grimy cinema of the 70s and, and things like that, it became so different. And it, and it continues to be that moment for so many people like in our age range, even though we were not children of the 70s or even 80s, we end up in that that mind frame of, oh, wow, like this is quieter. You know, like I remember mm-hmm. showing my nephew A New Hope semi-recently, uh, two or three years ago, and realizing through his eyes, wow, this is so much slower than everything that he is being exposed to right now. And I've taken it for granted mm-hmm. because I'm in it, you know, yeah. and, I, and I haven't, I don't consider um, a new hope beyond it being like this this warm blanket of a film that I've always mm-hmm. had. But for him, you know, he's watching R2 and 3PO. And I remember he looked at me and he was like, this is quiet. He's like, they're just they're doing a lot of walking and not in a bad <laughs> way. But like, and I was yeah. like, yeah. And, and that, that type of stuff comes from a more focused and, and methodical place. And so, yeah. yeah, I mean, you're, you were a smart kid, you know, picking up on that stuff. Uh, that, that, um, I- I'm very thankful that like now, like my, my nieces are of that age where I can start exposing them and like hearing their perspectives on like, you know, Star Wars films as, as a whole. But that reminds me of like, I was just rewatching A New Hope the other day and it reminded me of, of Obi-Wan's death scene where, you know, the, you, you have the strings in that scene, but that's about it. Like every, every moment that you expect yourself to hear a gasp is silent. It's when, you know, mm-hmm. you go between Luke and you go back to that Obi-Wan shot and he turns and looks back at Luke. It's completely silent. And then the spark of his death happens. And it's, uh, it's these movies are like very subtle in ways that like you don't really notice, I think, uh, as a child. So, yeah. Yeah, I think it teaches kids um, about the beauty and that subtlety about the details about a lot of the stuff that is in the downbeats you know Mm -hmm. mandalorian is really good at that you know despite being this technical marvel of now there's so much stuff in it that is all about downbeats i mean especially with a a almost entirely masked hero someone that you know you have a a minor affinity for pedro pascal um what they're able to do is is pretty amazing so now you're in that time you're in that place, you're in that era where you're a sponge and you're immersing all that stuff and all these formative influences are flying at you. And we were also, you know, it's always good as well to paint some context for the time because we were also inundated really with one of the best franchise periods ever, probably only top to mind right now, Yeah, uh, which was we were Star Wars prequel kids, Harry Potter kids, Spider-Man, X-Men, Lord of the Rings, Mm-hmm. Um, on television, there was, you know, still at the height of Pokemon, there were lesser known, not lesser known, but less less popular shows that were known, but like, yeah. were like the bedrock of the animation blocks on like Cartoon Network and Nicktoons, like Totally yeah. Spies and Lyoko and all that stuff. And so we were, we were in it deep. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was a, a bevy of things to choose from. And with all that said, was that your immediate like life goal like i need to be in this world i need to work in entertainment i, I want to write make movies act all oh that. yeah yeah i mean i <laughs> i've been doing like work as an actor and a writer since childhood honestly like i you know back back in the the olden days of going to church i was part of like our church 
theatrical group and like I, I joined theater in, in high school and, uh, and learned a lot. And I was also part of the marching band and basically any way that you could make noise and story, uh, I, I tried to get myself into. Um, and so, yeah, like entertainment was kind of, it was like a no brainer. It was like, you know, if, if I can't be an actor, uh, then I'm going to, I'm going to be a writer. If I can't be a writer, I'm going to be an artist. I'm going to find a way to get into this. And so I've, uh, I've done a lot of like different types of training. I've done a lot of like self-study. Um, and I'm really thankful that like all of this kind of, you know, amalgamated to like me realizing like I'm a writer, I'm a storyteller. Um, and, and these are like the, the, many methods that I can use to like create and tell these stories. And yeah, I, I mean, I've really, you know, since moving out to LA, I've been here for like 11 years. Like I've gotten to do, you know, red carpets on, on both sides for, you know, both press and like looking for Leia and other uh, show releases that I've done. I've been able to like, you know, serve as a voice actor on video games. I've been able to work with starwars.com and like write really cool reviews and uh, be on, uh, many awesome Star Wars podcasts and like I think that there's there's no other lifestyle for me with great respect and due apologies to the Katrina who once wanted to be a paleontologist um, I think this wow. is this is where I'm at this is hey, where I'm supposed to go hey, she rest in peace <laughs> R.I.P. you what did happened? good kid you did good you tried but then was, you realized there was math involved the Katrina <laughs> that wanted to be Ellie Sattler that was yeah I mean maybe there's still hope there's still you know, hope like uh, what I don't get is that there are maybe there maybe this is a thing. Someone who's listening, tell me if this is a thing. We've got <laughs> rich guys going to space now just cause, just yeah. for, just for you know the kicks. Like go gonna go hang out and coast in space on my on my large phallic uh, uh, rocket, uh, which <laughs> cool. Um, where is the come hang out at a dinosaur dig site? Is that a thing? <laughs> Like, I feel like that's it. Yeah. Like, if I had expendable income, like, probably the budget of a vacation, and someone was like, instead of going to Disney World, like, why don't you come and, like, wear khaki shorts and watch us dig up a dinosaur? I'd be like, that'd be rad. Exactly. Like, honestly, half of the reason that you should be creative in life is one, to tell your stories, and two, to get to go do cool stuff that has nothing to do with your expertise like i i would love to be a star trek star trek actor who or writer who is invited to nasa and like represents you know like you know uh, uh educational um efforts for nasa like that's sick man like that's that's the kind of stuff that you know I, just like echoing echoing out from like my point on storytelling it's the 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 more you can do to create good in this world with the stories you tell, the better, right? And so if that gets me a trip to NASA someday, I'm going to do it. We're just trying to tell everybody <laughs> that we like things. We yes. are material, selfish people. No. Uh, Let us well, do things and have things, please. Give me luxuries. <laughs> give me I am- stuff. Bougie. I would like of, uh, Sharpay <laughs> Evans. I want fabulous. That is my simple request. Uh, yeah, I, 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 there's we're joking, but like really, it is. I mean, that is part of the joy of of entertainment. Everything like you know, doing what I do and, and producing for iHeart and stuff, and and yeah. and putting shows together and all that stuff has 
brought me to some some very different experiences uh, and and different kinds of people, and it's been really interesting. But you said something there. Oh, but I thought but was- to be clear, the only reason I want to create a Star Wars story is so that I can get a free ticket to the Star Cruiser. That's it. Like, that's the only... No, I'm kidding. Look, the Star Cruiser, <laughs> you saying that just made my blood pressure spike because... There's no other way I can get but- on. I have no other idea. I'm just like, I'm going to have to write an entire novel for Star Wars so that I can get an invite. I'm simply not ready for the level of FOMO. <laughs> That I'm gonna feel. I'm not. Like, I I have felt bad FOMO before. You know, at the time of this recording, uh, there's a couple movies that I'm not gonna name them because I don't want to date it too much. But at the time of this recording, there's a couple movies that I haven't seen that I know some people have seen, uh, mm-hmm. and I'm like, ooh, this will be like that times a thousand. I'm not yeah. ready to see selfies and pictures from inside of the Halcyon Cruiser. Uh, <laughs> I'm we not. just gotta get a job there, Alden. We gotta be the aliens on the oh, ship. That's a good just... idea. Wow. That's we'll a really run good the idea. ship radio. Where is that <laughs> job? Like that's I, what I wanna know. Gosh, I wanna be like a a, a hollow net DJ or like a hollow net like telenovela actor. Like something like here that. Here comes Frigrant Dan and the Modal Nodes here on Halcyon Radio. Yes, it's Halcyon that same song. Radio. Oh. That'd be incredible. <laughs> See, this now I just want to talk about this made-up dream job. <laughs> Forget all the real life stuff. Uh, no. That's Perhaps. your next, your April Fool's uh, uh, episode. You know? Yeah. Just maybe, do it yeah. fully. Maybe we'll have to do a completely in character. When when the cruise ship launches, we'll be like, since we can't be there, here is what it Invite would be like. <laughs> I'll, I'll give you one of my tabletop characters. We'll do it. Yes, it'll be fantastic. <laughs> yes, your character is going to come visit. And guest on this imaginary uh, Star Wars radio show. We'll have to have like some some key broadcasters from Star Wars, like Foden B mm-hmm. from Phantom oh, Menace. Yes. I know that'll make yeah. you very very happy. Um, <laughs> I yeah. love it. Yeah, I love that. Um, this is perfect. Yep, yeah, that's a fantastic idea. Look at you. Producing. You're welcome. You're you can't welcome. stop producing. <laughs> I try to stop producing when I when I clock out. You don't stop. Um, <laughs> So I wanted to ask you, you said something in there that was super, super poignant before we figured out our our new careers. And (laughs) that was that your perception of storytelling, even from that young age, and and it is the correct um, view on it, I think, is that it injects joy into the world that at the end of the day, no matter what it is, that that's the goal. Even something brutal or sad Mm -hmm or or horrifying you know in these different genres because like you can look at a great filmmaker like spielberg and you're going to get some films in there that are not there to make you feel good you know like yeah no one's going to watch saving private ryan or schindler and be like i feel great um but there, (laughs) there is something to behold in terms of it as a great piece of art that after the experience you could say wow how amazing that it can affect you that way um so at the baseline there's awe and then there's joy. Do you remember formative experiences that made you realize that? Like, was there a time or, or, or a moment or a person that made you realize like, wow, this is way more than just entertaining people? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I don't know why, but I immediately went uh, to my memories of the um, extremely campy and wonderful Indiana Jones stunt show at... Uh, oh, wow. MGM Studios, Hollywood Studios, uh, and it wasn't necessarily the show itself because I, 
I could definitely rewrite, rewrite that show. Uh, <laughs> but it was the fact that like the, the performance itself was so much fun. The audience was so engaged and uh, everyone seemed like they were having a good time. And like, I, I think like even going to like conventions very early on and like seeing like hosts at conventions, like getting, getting information and stories out of like, you know, actors and producers and writers from, you know, Star Trek and, and Battlestar Galactica. I think that made a really deep impression on me um, because, you know, I went on to become one of those people um, and I've worked with like several conventions in that way. And like, uh, it's, it's weird because I don't, I, you know, you never expect to have like a, a, a story that has like started in childhood and continued with you for like almost three decades so when you think about it it's like oh no did I write this like (laughs) you know it it, it's it seems surprising but I'm really glad you know that that Star Wars has been part of my life and that like these these important like uh, uh key points in pop culture did influence me and and you know kind of turn the dial of what I want it to be yeah I think that there's there's so much truth there in terms of how it's almost like you have to step back and sort of step out of yourself and look back and realize just how much of yourself was crafted by those moments. However, how you can tell time off of that stuff in your life. You can, you can pinpoint, you know, I was here with this person when the trailer for this came out, you know, small, funny Mm -hmm. things like that. But then also those moments that, really got you through a tough time that that really uh tested your 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 metal you know i've I've said this on the show before but i one of the lowest points in my personal life was the day before the last episode of star wars rebels and that show's finale dragged me out of of a hole uh and and the, the ability for these stories to do that is so poignant and it's it's almost like it's such a chase the dragon goal to want to do that. But if mm-hmm. you're, if you don't want to do that, then are you storytelling for the right reasons? And that's something that, you know, storytellers could talk about forever because there mm-hmm. are people and you're in LA, there are people that will churn out whatever they need to do that are very marksman craftsmen about it. And it, it seems like they are in it for either money or for glory or for whatever, but you have to think that everybody starts from that place mm-hmm. and it's, it's complicated and it's weird, but I think that it speaks to the power of the story that it can even make us think and have these conversations yeah. um, before we get into, you know, the fun stuff. So, you know, this, is, this yeah. has already been a very soulful Star Wars conversation. <laughs> I, I do want to call back to like one, I think the, the number one thing that made me want to like now become a filmmaker and it, it wasn't even like, you know, I wrote about film and TV for like six years for different outlets, but it was way back in high school uh, when The Protector starring Tony Jaw came out. Mm. Um, and it's this martial arts movie and Tony Jaw is one of my favorite martial artists of all time. He's the star of Ong Bak, the Thai warrior. Um, and this particular film featured two fights that are just absolutely iconic one of them is in this room it's on fire um and he fights like in this like water lined floor of a room with this other guy and the fight is beautiful but the other uh fight that is stuck with me and kind of like made it so that like i want to do action but i want to do action that tells a story that captures people that like makes them feel like they're right there is this fight in a stairwell where basically this uh, tony jaw fights like 50 dudes in this sequence 
and he goes from the bottom floor of a stairwell uh, and it's like a spiraling stairwell up through a building and it's a single shot that follows him up that into different rooms and like you know he breaks through walls and the shot follows him through the wall until he gets to the very very top where his end goal is and it's like that's the pinnacle moment and you're you're taken through this like rush of a scene just to see if he'll get to the top and it's one of like the the most like interesting and exciting and thrilling shots that like I've ever seen in a film and I think that like my my goal uh when it comes to a lot of my my stories because so many of them do feature fights because like you know martial arts and 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 you know fighting games and movies are like totally my thing um is to have people to to have your heartbeat increase as the levels rise as it did in that scene yeah I mean I I'm going to clip that out and I'm going to, I'm going to have to send it to, to everybody that I know that loves movies because that is such a, it's a description, not only of that scene, but that scene is a microcosm, like you're saying, for every, every perfect moment of audience guidance and manipulation and Mm -hmm. when it has you in the palm of your hand and, and those, Hey, I'm a sucker for a a nice one -er. Like any, anything like that, where the camera doesn't stop. Like 1917. Yes, I know the tricks. <laughs> yeah. People are listening. They're like, there was a couple cuts. I know there was cuts, um, but, <laughs> but the illusion of that oneer to the run at the end, I was legitimately floored. I could not believe uh, yeah. what I was watching, even though there's nothing fantastical about it. You know, it's World War One. You know, we've seen World War One depicted a billion different times. We'll see it a billion more, and it had you and you know talking about martial arts movies i think about stuff like uh, like uh, police story three i think mm. it's like a really really awesome end scene and yeah I mean, it's just been it's been so cool to see that stuff start to boom here as well um with a whole new generation you know like we've had like midnight cinemas and things like that that have kept things uh, going and, and shown all types yeah. of uh, eastern cinema but now that the more that one start to break through and the more that American films start to be way more upfront about like their influences and stuff um, Mm -hmm. and and start to make those connections like a star Wars casting someone like Donnie Yen uh, that being a big move and letting him create the fight style for his own character uh, Mm -hmm. that becomes way more prevalent. But yeah, what you're saying is, is just, it's nothing short of beautiful, you know, like it makes you really think about, um, the visual language of everything that we appreciate, especially Star Wars, where so much of it is that. I mean, you can plop a toddler in front of Star Wars and they will put together without, you can put it on mute and they will figure out who's good and who's bad. Yeah. You, know, you can tell those shapes, uh, the shapes of, of someone like Vader or of Maul, the colors, everything. They'll do that association themselves and then it just builds and builds and builds and builds until you get to actually working out the emotions of a duel, which I'm mm-hmm. sure is something that you do all the time. I mean, watching yeah. when you, getting a new Star Wars fight for you has uh, to be like unwrapping I, I, a Christmas present at this point. Yeah, no, honestly, I mean, like going back to visions that that right off the bat, the duel was uh, and, and throughout the series, there are these incredible fights on like small and large scales. You know, we have our beautiful sword fights. We have confrontations that, you know, are they happen between characters that we met five minutes ago and we still care about them. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that 
that's one of the best things Visions did, did is that like through combat, most of these stories, it, it's a vehicle uh, to make things easier to understand for us in a way, you yeah. know, um, and you know, like while while Star Wars is great uh, with its character based storytelling, I think uh, duels and, and fights and battles are always going to be like that major um, uh, uh, catalyst for how we understand Star Wars stories. Yeah, I think that that's a, a big um, it's a big tightrope to walk almost for the franchise where it's inherently ironic in terms of the franchise and the franchise is aware of that you know mm-hmm. someone like mace windu saying we're keepers of the peace not soldiers uh, <laughs> the high republic having so much conversations in in the novels about when do we intervene what is what does it mean to take a life there's a lot of characters that have that pause in the high republic era which you know those five writers are just just five hitters they're killers yeah. so they they understand the ins and outs of those themes but star wars has to be bombastic and huge and mm-hmm. and violent in, in as much as that it is a war but it also needs to be extremely thoughtful uh and and emotional about everything that it does and and we saw what happens when you take that thoughtfulness to a new level when luke skywalker did not show up on crate and instead mm-hmm. used an illusion and used trickery and used uh, you know mystical sleight of hand to avoid a fight <laughs> how that created people that you know loved it it created a massive backlash against it you know obviously that movie's controversial on the whole but just talking about that scene um and that's something that i loved because it, it managed to find the new angle on that fight on that battle uh you know, another controversial movie, the one that came right after it introduces uh, the the idea of us fighting through our minds, through a connection to separate locations, expanding mm-hmm. that illusion thing and to include space time. So they're, they're bending it and playing with it as much as possible yeah. um, given the current rules. But I'm curious, where do you think that Star Wars fighting can go that it hasn't gone? I well, first off, I think there's no such thing as a limit to Star Wars fighting because if you think about other like large epic stories, even modern epics in a way like like Tolkien, you know, the way that those worlds are structured, there's always like a spot of land for another type of magical creature or another type of like you know belief or or, or practice. And I think you know Star Wars is a galaxy, and what is space? It is a giant void full of stars and planets and stories. And so to me, there is no limit when it comes to like how Star Wars can use fighting or not fighting uh, as a storytelling vehicle. Um, and, and honestly, like I, I, that was one of the things about uh, the that that the rise of skywalker that made total sense to me it's like oh of course they're fighting through the force whatever like we've seen time travel through the force you know we we the the very fact that like luke skywalker can think his way into lifting a rock is enough for to tell me that like there are no such things as like power levels or like spell limits or or rules when it comes to uh fights in star wars so i'm excited because i think you know at the end of the day that leaves such a wide canvas for what we can do next and how we can manipulate the force or even you know how two normal people can meet and and come into combat in the star wars universe yeah i think that's a great point yeah and and I think that for clarification, when I oh. say rules for people that are listening, <laughs> I do not at all. I have 100% with Katrina on this, not subscribing at all to the power level stuff. This is not DBZ. 
We do not need to go down that road as much as I love DBZ. It, it frustrates me to no end when people bring amount of training uh, into a Star Wars conversation. A lot of the times with less than savory uh, beliefs and agendas behind those comments. Um, but yeah, I think that you raise a great point where it's like maybe we have seen everything that we can do here now with these characters but mm-hmm. if there was xyz beings over here that used the force differently how would that translate if there was this species over here that lived differently functioned differently walked differently how would that translate so it's yeah it's- even within the star wars galaxy some of my favorite people the night sisters happen to mm-hmm. use the force in ways that like the jedi have not fully defined and neither have the sith like it their their relationship and understanding of it is radically different you brought up chiru he's a great example of like someone understanding a version of the Jedi's definition of the Force, but taking it to a different cultural level. So, like, how it's used, how Chirrut uses it even, and how the Night Sisters use it isn't as a superpower. It's part, it's part of them, you know? And so I, I think that those are just, like, small examples of, like, how far we can go with, like, in the saga, out of the saga, in visions, like, there's, it's boundless. And that, that's what I really love. And I think that's what's going to make Star Wars that modern myth that, like, you know, in 500 years when aliens discover our remains, they'll be like, oh, these are pretty cool stories about us. Like, <laughs> I would honestly, the ancient humans made. <laughs> that's, that's more than we deserve, uh, is, is to be associated with Star Wars 500 years from now. We um, I love yes. that you touched on the, the Night Sister stuff there, uh, as well as Chirrut, but that the, the abilities that the Night Sisters display in Clone Wars and in other storytelling, like in Fallen Order with Marin, is so intriguing to me. And, 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 I, and I love the way that she was introduced toward the end of that game. And I pray every day. I set the candles down and I pray to all the arcane Night Sister gods that they make her playable in the next game yes. because you want a unique gaming experience. You put the character in there that has abilities we've never gotten to use before. We've had mm-hmm. 20 years of Star Wars games, 20 plus if you include some of those uh, original sort of computer ROM games. And mm-hmm. we've always played as soldiers or Jedi. And so to have that ability or pilots, to have that ability um, to summon the sword out of thin air to use invisibility to conjure your dead sisters like how metal some of that stuff can be and and stuff we haven't even seen um, Mm -hmm. is super exciting now i wondered how long i could go before this episode turned into what we all knew it was going to be which was (laughs) the asajj ventress appreciation hour uh and you know we danced we danced right on the side of that territory and we've talked about so many topics where Asajj could easily be extremely relevant. I've been really good. I've you been have really been. good. You have been. Visual myself. storytelling, choreography, uh, you know, the, the language of combat. Uh, then we got <laughs> all up into the Night Sister territory, and it was like, it's coming. It's a coming. Uh, and so now, <laughs> now I think it's time to to throw away everything thoughtful, everything reserved. It's time to start yelling. Just uh, as she would want. Exactly. It's, it's just <laughs> go full chaotic. Uh, let, let the flames out, uh, unleash, you know, we get some red lighting in here. Uh, why don't you describe to us your journey uh, with this <laughs> Take a, Take us back to the beginning, to the Tartakovsky days and the bygone oh, era. How did this indeed. romance start? 
Well, I actually was very lucky to know a massage ventress a very long time ago. Um, I, I grew up with what is now known as the expanded universe. So I, I grew up with, you know, uh, uh, you know, heir to the heir to the empire and, and all of those stories and Mara Jade and the new Jedi order. And so uh, one of the big parts of my childhood was also uh, comic collecting. We, um, we went to what I think is now villains comics in Miami. That may have changed, uh, but the owner was named Glenn at the time. And part of my allowance was uh, a new comic, like every Wednesday or so, uh, based on on how I did. And so the moment I found out there were Star Wars comics, I started collecting them. I never stopped. And eventually we be- we-, we came to the uh, Republic era of comics where Ventress was first introduced. Um, and I... I like explicitly remember seeing her on the cover one day and going like, who is this? <laughs> and, <laughs> and picking up like the, the entire like Republic series. Like I forgot exactly which cluster of issues it was, but it was like a, a four issue arc as they, as they often are. Um, and I, I, I wanted to know all about her. And that's when I found out about uh, the Clone Wars cartoon that had like just come out around then. Um, and yeah, that first like that first like string of encounters with Ventress when when you know Dooku goes to Rat Attack and finds her in the pits um, and and she uh, becomes his apprentice. <laughs> she was in the pit. <laughs> down there. It was and it was cool because like you know that it spun off of like the original like or, or or like the original idea for that it spun off into the comics where like she had very much like you know in in canon now she was uh, uh abandoned uh, or well, in canon, she was sold uh, as a slave, but she was abandoned and then became a slave on uh, Rat Attack. And then, you know, Kyneric freed her and they fought side by side for a long time and were beloved by the people of Rat Attack. But in the comics, in Legends, after Kyneric uh, eventually kicks the bucket, um, Ventress doesn't go directly to the pit. She actually like becomes this like teenage queen of Rat Attack and like, and they build her like a castle and everybody loves her because she's super violent and they're at attacky people are like yeah we love to fight and so it just kind of meshes really well um but in you know that that was kind of like erased and put into like simpler terms uh when when the the tartakovsky cartoon came around so uh it was cool to see her just get introduced as this character who was this foil to Anakin, you know, like she, her experiences kind of either paralleled or were like, they happened at exact opposite times to him. You know, she, she started evil and like became slightly better and he started slightly okay and became increasingly more evil. Um, And you see their stories kind of cross these thematic paths in, in several ways, both in like canon and, uh, and, and in uh, legends. And like, I think, yeah, she she just became this important character to me because she was someone who was competent enough to like, you know, stand up to like the two biggest heroes of the Republic and like really give them trouble, not only in combat, combat, but like in cunning. And like, yeah, and she's she's also one of those few characters who, like Ahsoka, we get this like full arc for her in uh, in Clone Wars, and you don't get that often, especially with female characters, especially in that era of Star right. Wars. So to see her grow from like she's here as the villainess in season season one, and then by like season five, she's her own person. She has like freed herself 
from the claws of the Sith and she's carving her own way in the galaxy and has this different relationship now with the force than like anyone else really has. So it's like her own, I'm not saying it's like special or, or better than anyone else's experience with the force, but it is a now a different fold of the force, very much like how Ahsoka understands it differently. And I feel like if there was potential to continue telling Asajj's story, we would see that echo out, especially because of her, um, her, her, her involvement with the Night Sisters. So I love Asajj Ventress. <laughs> <laughs> I can talk about her for hours. Like Alden went and like walked his dog while I was like, while I was talking. I was just uh, getting getting started on my taxes. (laughs) Went uh, put a pizza in the oven. You know, Uh, no, it was such an incredible answer. I mean, a a truly rich and and compelling character. Like you said, not for the time, of course. You know, being in that that perfect age range, you know, for the Tartakovsky and then seeing uh, that iconic duel between Asajj and Anakin and, and, and just phenomenal stuff. And the fact that this character was so visually different than what we had seen um, from uh, Maul or Dooku or Vader at the time, you know, these big bads and the fact that uh, the relationship with Dooku was so interesting and mysterious and, and the portrayal was, you know, we didn't have anything that had that air of sinister, mm-hmm. sort of sleek, the undertones of sexuality as much as you could get into Cartoon Network, which, <laughs> yep. which, which increased it and got more flirtatious as we got into the CG canon. Oh, yes. Which was always a great time. <laughs> you're watching that back in 08, 09, and you're like, oof, Obi-Wan. Yeah. I mean, I'm just saying the dark side's not looking too bad right now. <laughs> Like, I remember when, like, and this is before it was cut out of the the Cartoon Network version. But that one scene where she like stabs that clone and then kisses him—that was like the first time I went like, "Oh, I wish that were me." Oh, and then it was like, "Am I gay?" Like, fantastic! Yes, <laughs> Thanks, Dave Filoni, for the kiss of death that showed us that we're gay. Uh, I don't, don't want to go out any other way now. I did, that's it. That's the only way I want to die. Uh, it's hilarious. I, I remember before they shut down Battlefront 2, the rumor was that Asajj was going to be the next villain in because they yeah. would have paired Asajj with Ahsoka. Um, and, oh, man, I wish that I could have killed and kissed people all over that game. Oh, can you imagine just the, just the dialogue between her and Obi-Wan alone? Like... I just, I feel like that's why they shut the whole game down. They're like, this is too horny. We can't, we can't do this. This game is no about more to end up being an M for mature if we put her in. <laughs> we can't, we can't do it. It's going to go too far. Uh, I think that, yeah, first of all, like I have nothing but love and respect for everybody out there that uh, is an Obatine person, but. I'm a multi-shipper. Make them yeah. as happy as they want. They get, yeah. to, uh, get to date everybody. Make them as happy or miserable as they can be. If I like a character, I ship them with like a million people. So. I think it's the healthiest, the healthiest methods. That's yeah. the best thing that I've heard. Because I, I, I'm like that with a, I'm not, I'm not like a the ship's person. I'm very uneducated, and, and I just, <laughs> you know, uh, but I have said like to, I've said this to Tori off air. I want Dinjar to end up with Omera, but. I want him to have a summer fling with Bo-Katan before he gets there. <laughs> I think that, you know, taking back yeah. Mandalore is going to be very stressful. Exactly. And I think the two of them are going to need to, you know, knock boots before they take that throne. 
Look, and 10 years down the road, you don't want him asking, what if, you know, that's, that's all I'm thing. saying. It's like, what, if, what if I had some, a little ginger baby to run around and play with Kroger? <laughs> Who doesn't want that? Uh, but yeah, exactly. so back to Asajj. Uh, <laughs> Asajj. I ship with several people. <laughs> as you should. Uh, this Asajj conversation is, is an interesting one because... <laughs> Asajj lives in that realm of Star Wars characters where it's like they're gone dot 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 question mark where it's Mm -hmm. like yeah they're dead but they're as dead as Boba Fett was they're as dead as Palpatine was like we have seen very clearly how, how often death is just the pathway to the next chapter in Star Wars so what are your immediate without giving away like actual story ideas because who knows what might happen at some point in your life and career right Uh, only star wars you got my number what are the (laughs) they do what are the 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 strokes um that you would like to see for them is it more of the the bounty hunting life is it would you like to see a full light side turn do you want asajj to go the way of ahsoka and and embrace more of a no dogma walk my own path type life uh because she would be in that that 19 year pre-empire maybe she became an old lady and went all the way to the mandalorian (laughs) and sequel era who knows yeah i mean i okay in my perfect world uh asajj lives all the way to the sequel era and becomes ray's uh new master but uh to not get ahead of myself i really think that she has like i said earlier that character potential potential to show us like another side of the force where like she you know ahsoka is going her own way but asajj it wouldn't even be like a heartbreaking thing for her it's like i going forward it's her carving her path it's her defining who she is because her whole life was about other people telling her who she was and like you know keeping her in roles keeping her imprisoned in different ways um and ultimately like abusing her so i think like that story of freedom and how she'll find it through the force and what her relationship becomes after like this lifetime of like being a jedi and then a sith and having such heavy influence from the force itself on her life like i i think there's just like a lot of potential uh when it when it comes to like going forward like i saw there's this great comic out there i think it's by elfidel where um ahsoka ends up going to like dathomir she's like called there by the force and she by other certain means she raises asajj from the dead because you know if you can put maul into a garbage can and he can build spider legs from his <laughs> you know garbage there then maybe putting the dead witch in the magic lake you know might spurn some other things but uh, ahsoka essentially raises her from the dead and asajj like kind of sort of works with the rebellion and uh and and like becomes friends with wolf and like it's a really interesting character path for her and i think that like there's you know a million other ways that could go but one of the things that was being established before asajj was ultimately fridged was like 
these little moments where because she saw herself and other people, she felt compassion and empathy for them. And that was a huge turning point for her character who is otherwise, you know, fairly selfish and like, you know, for good reason, she's got to look out for herself, but she's never been able to rely on, trust on, trust in or give to other people. And so there was like, there's this comic by Jody Hauser in the, um, the, the Vader's Castle comic, not oh, Vader's, Vader's Castle. Castle. Age of Republic? Yeah, Age of Republic. It's yeah, that's the one by Jody Hauser. And it's uh it's about Asajj right before she goes hunting for Ahsoka, uh, after Ahsoka's escaped um from being accused of bombing the temple. And Asajj is like uh on her way to find Ahsoka when she runs into these two girls who are being harassed by like a, a you know big guy. Uh and and she sees herself and her fallen sisters in these girls and defends them and saves them. It's a very short, but cute story. And it's very, like, it's very definitive, I think, to like who Asajj becomes. It's like, this is the moment where you see at the end of the comic when she's striding away and saying like to the two sisters, she says like, you know, take care of each other for as long as you can because she had a family for like five minutes and, and it was lost. And so I think that, that we can see her there's so much more potential for her to not only become like this this in, in interesting force user but i think even going to like i think about zuko zuko from from avatar the last airbender and yeah. his his journey like uh for me asajj kind of has that potential to not necessarily become like a good guy but like to define what she wants to do and make the right choices from there yeah, and I think that that's, I mean, that's what we are, especially our generation. I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's the the Snape of it all or if it is the prequel Anakin. I don't know what it is about our generation, but we eat that up. Like, yeah. love the long con, um, you know, you there's t- always tomorrow to make a better choice. Mm-hmm. And, and we've seen that with, you know, Zuko. We've seen that with characters like, Jamie Lannister, which is obviously not child friendly, uh, but you know there's uh, there's characters like that that are so compelling, and you know you touched on those those beautiful parallels between Asajj and Anakin, and these these lives of constantly being in chains, literal or metaphorical, uh, mm-hmm. and how they parallel each other. But I and I, while you were talking just then, I thought of the the inverse, which I guess would be Maul in a lot of ways, because mm-hmm. they walk the same path in so many ways, but she has a capacity for change that he doesn't. And that's mm-hmm. that's the tragedy of him. And you know, there's that that great Freddie Prince Jr. rant where he talks about him being Sisyphus, which is so true. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. and it made me think about A, their their tied together origins of their home their their people Talzin, all that stuff that, that their abuser and palpatine you know being the same in so many ways and and the systems and the dark side and all this stuff but asajj is able to tap it to a humanity uh within herself that was never fully stamped out and i think that she serves as such a really interesting parallel that i think that continuing her story no matter where they went through that post uh, prequels period post order 66 would be so interesting to to draw next to his as yeah. doubles and triples and quadruples down on constant power grabs and constantly being that guy mm-hmm. she can go another way like i think that she deserves he goes out in twin sons in the sand pathetic yeah. broken 
finally cut down by his mortal enemy. I think Asajj deserves like a nice retirement at the end of the yeah. life. Like, like, I don't want her to go out and battle. Like, I, I think that if she were to train someone like Ray down the road or, yeah. or, or meet rebels, like for her to be an old lady and just have a lot of stories, I think would be such a poignant like, end. She, she could just be that cranky witch living in the weird house on the mountain that they run into. Like, I, I just think it would be great. Like, and, and like, I, I, I I really hope that like it, when we see her in the future, when not if, uh, just because I, we're getting so much ventures lately, I'm just a little suspicious, you guys. Um, and if, if it doesn't happen sooner, it'll happen later through me. I promise. Um, I I'm really excited to see like how her character is going to be explored in this like new era of of stories because you know uh, we haven't really gotten a new ventress. Uh, followed stories since like the you know she she was one of the POV characters in Dooku Jedi Lost so I'm really excited for Brotherhood because we're going to see Ventress in that that early period that like early like near Attack of the Clones-esque period when she's freshly Dooku's uh, 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 you know apprentice I guess um, and going after those Jedi for the first time, I hope. So there's still a lot of, a lot of ventures to tell. There's a lot of story to tell with her. And I think there's a lot of potential for, you know, turns that we don't see as traditionally with, uh, with the heroes of our Star Wars stories. I uh, could not agree more. And, and that those book announcements, I mean, they're all so exciting, but that one immediately reading the, the synopsis, I like looked at my phone, read the synopsis, like head shot up, like, oh, they're gonna they're gonna go full Tarnakovsky. Like this is like, <laughs> Anakin's not a knight yet. He's about to be knighted. They're gonna meet Ventress. I was like, you're gonna get your eyes scarred in this book, son. Like, this is it. This is it. Uh yeah, I, I'm really excited about that. Um, but in terms of stories that we know factually are coming and not just in our hearts, because I, I also do think that Ventress is in a world where Bo-Katan and Ahsoka, uh, you know, other characters coming down the pipeline, like Sabine making that jump to um, live action. There's no way in hell that uh, Asajj does not show up in in live action or in, in, yeah. a, in a future short or in more animation. Uh, if there was a Star Wars Vision season two, I would love for someone to take on like an Asajj story or something like that because oh, their so handling cool. of the dark side in that show is phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Um, but in terms of stories that we know we're getting, Rogue Squadron, Obi-Wan Kenobi, more Mandalorian, Ahsoka, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Acolyte, God, Acolyte. Uh, uh, what what are you most excited for and, and where does your, your head go? Yeah, I mean, uh, oddly enough, I am really excited for the thing I know the least about, which is Acolyte. Like, I'm a really big fan of Leslie Headland. I, I actually just finished rewatching Russian Doll, which I love. And I think that, like, her weird style of storytelling is exactly what I want when it comes to, like, the first piece of High Republic era content that we're going to see on on the big screen um and it, it's right near the end apparently of the high republic era so it's going to be that like culmination of all these stories we've been following for so long and um i'm really excited for that but i am also very excited for the kenobi songs like yeah. i oh man new books the new show i i couldn't be happier because you know i, I love ventress but like when it comes to my second favorite character 
here. Obi-Wan will always, always take that place in my heart. And I just can't wait to see more of him, even though, you know, I guess some people think that we've seen enough of him. I'll tell you, I'll I'll never see enough of Obi-Wan. Yeah, uh, respectfully, those Mm -hmm. people are incorrect. Uh, (laughs) We have have never seen enough Obi-Wan Kenobi because Obi-Wan Kenobi in a lot of ways, yes, Luke was the original main character. Han and Leia were the original friends, you know. Like, we had a lot of people that were a lot of firsts in Star Wars. And But Obi-Wan, aside from being the first master character, on a metatextual level, he was the original example of what Star Wars would do forever and will do forevermore, which mm-hmm. is nonlinear storytelling. Obi-Wan Kenobi, people forget. Like when, <laughs> when people say, like when Black Widow came out there earlier this year, people are like, why would they release a Black Widow movie? Like we just saw her die in Endgame. I know where it's going. And yeah. my, my argument was Obi-Wan Kenobi. Mm-hmm. Obi-Wan Kenobi is one of the most iconic characters in all of pop culture and all of you know fiction and, and visual storytelling fantasy. And he dies in his first appearance. <laughs> like <laughs> yep. we, have, we have always always told obi-wan stories no matter what knowing where it was going mm-hmm. and that has never stopped anyone uh be that the clone wars team be that the rebels team comics novelists it hasn't stopped anybody from doing beautiful work and so i am so excited uh for that i'm so excited to see ewan's performance 10 years older in real life and in canon mm-hmm. uh, of course there's the hayden of it all who knows what that's going to be like because as I've said on many episodes of this show, there is no point to get him if you're not showing the face. Because yeah. You do Vader without him very easily. So to get him <laughs> says something. Yes. And I hope that something is Clone Wars flashbacks because we've got him. We've got Tem on hand working on what may very well be multiple projects. Um, I just, there's no, no reason I think that we won't see the Clone Wars in, in live action. And that is just like the very potential of that is so thrilling. And I really hope we get it. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that that would be extremely extremely uh powerful and and the book announcements made me think like we've never seen anakin's ascension tonight in canon mm-hmm. um, so now that's going to be canonized we have also never seen obi-wan's ascension to the council and mm-hmm. and we didn't really even get that in legends so now i'm like wow if there's a flashback to like that really happy day between the two of them like obi-wan's first day getting his chair and all that stuff mm-hmm. and in the council chamber like like that that's the type of stuff that will make you roll a tear and then oh, yeah. smash cut to vader choking somebody out of course <laughs> right uh, exactly <laughs> and then the other exciting thing about that is that that means we get more of katrina's tweets about obi-wan like your pin, your <laughs> pin tweet here which i love makes me laugh every time i see it the not all men you're right obi-wan kenobi jedi master hero of the republic would never do this he would never <laughs> never in his life he's the perfect man he's the worst thing obi-wan does is probably having like one or two too many drinks you know on a night out exactly he's a swashbuckler you know obi-wan he's he's got his his beard and his stash that he likes to twirl sometimes like he's yeah obi-wan likes what he does and i think that that is what separates him from a lot of heroes is that yes he has he's burdened by responsibility but he is decidedly not tortured given how much of a a right to be tortured he has Mm -hmm. he has every reason to be tortured he has every right to go full batman and start choking (laughs) things out and like 
deciding that he's going to be the law. He yeah. should be more like Mace Windu, essentially. <laughs> uh, and he's not. Yeah, I, I love that about Obi-Wan because I know that even, even that, like, I, I think one of the big complaints that I heard originally when the Obi-Wan series got announced was like, oh, he's just going to be sitting in the desert being sad. And I'm like, yes, well, obviously he's going to be sitting in the desert being sad. One, I want to see that. Two, he's Obi-Wan Kenobi, the same guy who, like, joked around about Jawas, who, like, spent, like, you know, five hours trying to, like, probably learn that crate dragon call. Like, mm-hmm. this is Obi-Wan Kenobi who has other stuff to do during the day, okay? Like, what does he do when he goes in town? Who does he meet? How many paths uh, does he cross, you know? Like, especially on Tatooine, in, even though he's living, you know, out in the Jemlin Waste, he's still somehow very central to, like, major ports. So and it's not like he's to... missing... Yeah. Canonically, build a reputation as a crazy old wizard. Exactly. He has to have done enough to have his supporters, but also his detractors. You know, like to be that that guy that has stuck his nose into town business maybe once once or two uh, too too many times, Mm -hmm. um, which is uh, a very exciting uh, prospect. So I I could not agree with you more on acolyte uh, on Obi Wan. Of course, though, we are are spoiled. Um, in all types of ways. And uh, one of the last <laughs> points I wanted to hit with you, although we could go for like six more hours and we will absolutely point, uh, do some more episodes together, is... Uh, life Day. Oh, wait, no, not Life Day, but April Fool's. Whatever. April Fools. One of those things. One of those. Star Cruiser. There Star Cruiser a... episode. That's the one we're doing. The Star Cruiser, <laughs> uh, the Halcyon Radio. That's yeah. It. That's it. Uh, they're going to pay us for that. Don't worry, I'm going to sell it. I'm going to sell you. it directly yeah. to Star Wars. Um <laughs> Is also like so, like real life wise, um, we're in a constant state of of progress. You know, mentioning something like Acolyte, the first Star Wars project uh, run by a queer woman, let alone a queer person, mm-hmm. um, and Taika Waititi, the first Indigenous person, I, I believe, the first Jewish person. If I'm wrong, please correct me, uh, people listening. But I believe so, uh, and there have been so many different uh, new angles and approaches coming into Star Wars, many of which we're waiting to see, uh, like Deborah Chow running Obi-Wan Kenobi, what is her perspective going to be like? Uh, So I'm interested what it means for you as a Latinx person um, to have people like Robert Rodriguez, executive producing the show, to have Andor coming down the pipeline with, you know, a Latinx lead, also introducing what maybe possibly could be Cassian's sister. I've heard mm-hmm. that thrown around. I've also heard lover. Either way, there's <laughs> going to be more Latinx people uh, in, in Star Wars in that show. So how does that feel right now? And, and what are you hoping to see going forward? It, yeah, it feels amazing. I mean, like, you know, you, you're, you're, you were a Latin kid who was a Star Wars fan coming up and it just like, I don't know, it's always kind of felt part of uh, Latin culture in a weird, weird way. Like, mm-hmm. you know, it's like how uh, if you grew up with like Telemundo anime, like it, DZ feels like it's Latino, you know, like it's yeah. it's like it's a Latino anime. What are you talking about? It, it, it's always kind of felt rooted in, in culture this way because so much of our culture is about storytelling. So much of our culture is about being that guy like at, at the bar or like, you know, at the pool who's like telling or recalling a story. Um, and so much of Star Wars feels that way. And I guess also just like growing up in in Miami and growing up around a lot of like people like me, 
I've never been surprised that like, you know, Latinx people love Star Wars. And if you even look behind the scenes, like I, when I first like started meeting folks at Lucasfilm, I was surprised by like the abundant number of Chilean people who were there, like, you know, like right off the bat, you know, Pablo and Tracy, but like, they're just like a bunch of like richly diverse people um, who are telling these stories. And so to me, like Star Wars something was something that my abuelo saw with my dad back in 77 that my dad brought me to when I was a kid, you know, like I, in, uh, I saw it much earlier, like I started watching it on sci-fi, but like when the re-releases came out in like 99, 20 years later, my dad took me to see Star Wars. And so because it feels like it was part of my family and my upbringing and my culture in Miami, um, it's always sort of felt Latinx. And now we have a Chilean man, like leading the, the cast of a Star Wars TV show, which is just the coolest thing ever I, I I you know was always a fan of of Pedro's but like it's so awesome to like look at that and go like oh that's like that's one of us like and and the feeling resonated still like as strongly when you know Oscar was first cast as Poe Dameron and you know growing up I always loved Bale because yeah. you know these are just like because you love Jimmy Smith you know like you're, you you're, it's a requirement yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's part of yeah it's actually when you're born Latin you're given like a rule book and like yes. once you learn how to read you have to like go through the rules and sign off on it so i remember yeah. i remember when they were first announcing the the cast for the in the heights film once they cast jimmy smith i was like <laughs> at last <laughs> finally yes. this movie can proceed <laughs> yes <laughs> i care about this movie a lot now we have to <laughs> we have to acknowledge uh, i did an episode with uh, andres cabrera last year and he was just on the show uh, again but last year we did one specifically about uh, the Latinx characters of Star Wars and affectionately called the Space Poppies episode because yes. <laughs> like, we truly like uh, Kanan, Space Poppy, Bale, mm-hmm. Cassian, uh, you've also Space got, you know, uh, uh, of course, Din, um, and it just expands and expands and expands as you, <laughs> as, as you start to realize like that so much of that traditional sort of classic like hardened like has to be tough but really is like so sensitive and so family oriented and is so mm-hmm. uh musical and whimsical like all that stuff that you see a lot in latinx men and latin dads and stuff like that is so in the heart of star wars because all of those guys especially now cassian where we're going to see him at a probably harder edged place in his life so much mm-hmm. of these char- uh, these character journeys is about the softening you know, Din Djarin, like, what yeah. does what does being a family man do to him? Uh, what does, you know, having his day in the sun instead of being in the grime and in the grit do to Cassian? Uh, Ezra, what does that do uh, for Kanan? And, and all of that is really, um, really impactful. And I'm excited to see that now expand to having uh, a Latinx woman on screen, which has been a big thing. We've had, of course, Trace and Rafa in animation. Uh, mm-hmm. So I don't want to discount that at all because they rock. Uh, yes, and... I love them. I'll fight anyone for their honor. I... Oh, yeah. Yeah. The the complaints about that arc, that oh. just, hold, just hold up a sign that says, I don't get it. Because Catch me that... in the Hyatt parking lot at the at the Anaheim Convention Center and I will fight you <laughs> over Trace and Rafa's honor. <laughs> <laughs> hold my action figures. Yeah. <laughs> Get their hands in their honor. Uh, do it. So we have here uh, Adira Ajorna, 
uh, Arjona, Ariona, Adria Ariona. Yeah, I've never pronounced her yeah, I know. last right, name IRL. Right when, I, right when I went to say it, I was like, <laughs> I didn't prep for this. I will make an edit. Uh, uh, for right now, uh, Adria Ariona is uh, joining the, the Cassian show uh, in an unspecified female lead. Mm-hmm. Gotta, love, gotta love reading that for an entire year until we get a detail uh, about what's going on because that Star Wars is always mystery, mystery, mystery. I'm excited. Like, I feel like the the Cassian show, despite the cast, like, being heavily white, it has this potential to be, if it really wants to go there, one of the most Latinx shows in Star Wars. Because Mm -hmm. Cassian, era-wise, is primed perfectly for a trip to Alderaan. And as we know, as we have claimed, that that is a Latino planet. Like, (laughs) like it's, it's a Latino planet, and Leia is there also. (laughs) <laughs> that is true and, and Leia also it's like <laughs> one <Leia> gringa <laughs> <laughs> she's adopted we love her okay <laughs> she still gets a plate it's fine exactly uh, exactly <laughs> yeah I think that uh, definitely potential there if it's uh, we get to see the, the parents that he fought with when he was six years old yes. um yeah uh, very excited relatives and, and confidants and things like that i i have i have a lot of hope for a, a, a lot more uh latinx representation in star wars i think that's going to be very exciting and representation of all kinds and uh I, i'll be really interested to see what taika does because he doesn't mess around and he has always um done yeah. well you know in his films with doing that so what is the accolade like what at what point do you remember if that was specified like when because i know it's like the end of the high republic era but how long did they define how long the high republic era is like is it 20 years (laughs) what i have what i've gathered is Mm -hmm. that so the high republic where we are reading right now is 230 ish years before phantom menace right so but the high republic ends about 50 years before the Phantom Menace. Oh, okay. Because that, my number one, like, worry right now with the High Republic era is uh, is my cousin, Keith Trennis. Um, I, I worry very much about her because of what happened and what was mentioned in Dooku Jedi Lost. You know, right. Master Trennis, how tragic. And I'm like, okay, is that who the acolyte is? Because that's, yeah. that's just, like, at the forefront of my mind. Is like, is it Keith? Like, is that, she maybe a yeah. cyborg? That like- probably won't be. I mean, of course, it's Star Wars. There are ways to keep her alive if they wanted to. That probably won't be. But I've put a lot of thought into exactly what you're discussing as to, mm-hmm. like, who feasibly could appear. 50 years before Phantom Menace means we could see a probably f- maybe a freshly knighted Dooku yes. or, or yeah. on Dooku. Yeah. Uh, it could mean we could see an older Buryaga. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because, you know, Wookiees and stuff. Obviously, Yoda is all, all I, I would bet the house that Yoda will show up because. Oh, yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, Opa Rancisis and Yariel Poof, we know are long lived could easily be in that era. So there's definitely stuff that they could play with, but- Oh my God, young Qui-Gon. Okay, sorry. <laughs> Qui-Gon as like a- well, oh, little baby battle. for Phantom Menace, like that, that could, yeah, like Qui- oh. Qui-Gon as a, as a youngling. Little baby, yeah. Something like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. We're gonna see Yoda, <laughs> same classroom where he told Liam to get the shades and attack of the clones. He's gonna be like, Qui-Gon, get the shades. And I'm gonna be like, oh! He said it! 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 
I, I, this has been such a great it. conversation. I, I should go out on the high of toddler Qui-Gon. Yes. And, and agree to, to reconvene and do this again soon. Um, mm-hmm. Thank you for the wonderful conversation, for these uh, incredible insights, my friend. And uh, why don't you tell the good folks at home where they can find you uh, tweeting about Obi-Wan and, uh, <laughs> and other such thirsty things. Yes, yeah. Well, thank you for having me on. And of course, you guys can find me anywhere on the internet. If you look for Ocatrina, that's O-H-C-A-T-R-I-N-A. Um, I have lots of podcasts. I have lots of stories. And I have lots of very dumb Star Wars tweets. So come on down and have fun and uh, make sure to tip your waiters. Thanks, folks. <laughs> Beer all week. Uh, the thing that I love about Ocatrina as a handle that I just thought of is <laughs> that it's entirely dependent on mood and tone. Yeah. Sometimes it's like, oh, who do I want to talk to about? It's, oh, Katrina. Yeah. But then tonight yeah. it's like, oh, Katrina. Oh, Katrina. <laughs> uh, that's me. <laughs> like Seinfeld bass kicks in. Like, uh, yeah. <laughs> but then uh, other times it's probably like, oh, who, uh, you know, who, who was I supposed to get that from? Oh, Katrina. I forgot. Like, it, it, it can have anxiousness. Like, it just it just lends itself to so much. Find the show and all of our shows uh, at Octo Radio, A H C H T O Radio, and all your social media platforms. And that's my show, the show you're listening to right now. It's got the Mandatorian Creed with Tori Fox, which Katrina has already been on. Uh, which that show is back, thriving, back, baby. Super excited to have Tori uh, making some new episodes. There's going to be a combination, probably, of like one-off episodes and some series and stuff because she's a busy woman. She's doing a lot. I don't know if you know this, but like she's pretty amazing at everything that she does. Yep. Uh, and then we're also doing a rewatch Between Worlds, which is our Rebels rewatch series where we uh, watch the entire show. We do commentaries and then analysis. We watch the Rebels recon episodes that used to come out and reflect on those memories and interview some some creative people that were involved. And it's a really exciting time. Catch me as well on the One and Done Film Club, my other podcast, Batman Returned with Charlie Ashbia and his Patreon. There's a lot of talking that I do. I it's it's just a lot. Uh, so you can you can check all that out on the social medias. But for right now, for me, Katrina, for Asajj Ventress, and all of the sultry things that she does, punch it, Chewy. Chewy.